This is WJR's Business Biography. Now here's your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. The life of an entrepreneur is hard. Achieving breakout success is even harder. But the pursuit of living the American dream, upward mobility, earning a sense that you've achieved something extraordinary, and being rewarded financially as well, all make for an irresistible set of ingredients hard to ignore. As Americans, we enjoy a startup and business ecosystem unlike any in the world. The resources available to entrepreneurs here in America provide a foundation for the best possible odds of success. And as a result, many living elsewhere, wanting to improve their quality of life, make the bold decision to pick up and move to the land of opportunity, seeking a better quality of life for themselves and their families by taking their shot to pursue the American dream. Such is the story today on Business Biography of Viktor Smolyanov and the amazing success story of his company, Victor's Roofing, based right here in the Metro Detroit region and now one of the top companies in its field. Our feature today on Business Biography. Victor, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I want to start, Victor, by just personally extending my congratulations on your success and showing my personal support and the support of our team for your motherland, Ukraine, during these extraordinarily tough times. You were born and raised there until the age of seven. Tell us what you remember about your childhood there. Back in the day, I thought I had it made. I think as a kid, you don't know what you don't know, if that makes sense. You got food, you got shelter, and life is good. So growing up in Ukraine, you know, you don't know any better. You hear about different countries like Poland, maybe Germany, America, but you don't know what it's like because you're living in what you think is a good world. You know, now you look back, it's, you know, we were living in poverty, but you don't realize that's poverty because that's your everyday life. But a good example is, I was just talking about this in the office the other day. I didn't get to experience running hot water out of a tap until I was seven years old. So whenever we lived, we had a house that we lived in. We, did, we had water at the house. We just didn't have a water heater. So we would literally have to heat up our water on the stove. And same thing with a indoor bathroom. So until I was seven years old, we had an outhouse that we had to use. And the funny part is as a kid, I was petrified of it because it's literally, it's a shack over a hole and the hole's pretty deep, <laughs> but that was normal. And we did pretty well. Like my parents had a car and that was a big deal. I mean, I'm talking about like 1990, 1992-ish area. Like as I can, I was born in 87. So, you know, I can probably remember 1990, 1991, but even having a car, that was a big deal because we were able to drive to church on a Sunday and pick friends up or family up and say, hey, you don't have to take the you know public transportation. You don't have to take a bus. It doesn't have to take you two hours to get to a place. You can, you know, take a car. I'll take you 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So, you know, that's what I remember. And then obviously as you move, we moved in 96 from um, Ukraine to Michigan. And that's when your eyes really, really open up. Like my first experience in the United States was we landed in Detroit Metro. We went to my grandparents' apartment. This was like 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning. Obviously time zones were all messed up, but my grandpa took us shopping for something at Myers. And you walk in and it's your eyes just go wide open. Like, holy smokes, all of this in one place, all these fruits, all these vegetables, all this food, all this clothing in this, this giant building. So that's when you start to, you know, go back and see like, 
we were not doing so hot in Ukraine and life is definitely better in other places. Yeah, you know, and, and that makes an interesting point, though. I mean, sometimes, you know, what is the old saying? Ignorance is bliss. Now, of course, things like running hot water and so on are one thing and having enough food to feed your family and all the rest, the fundamentals. So your childhood was post-Soviet Union. Of course, the country was going through a lot of change. All the fundamentals were still being put in place on the heels of coming off being part of the Soviet Union. It had to find its own independent way and its own independent systems and everything. So a lot of things were new and very challenging in the country back then. My assumption is yes, but then once again, I'm looking at that situation from the eyes of a child, from the eyes of a four-year-old or, or a six-year-old. At that point, you don't realize what happens. You don't know the good and the bad. Like You don't know all the you know good things in the world and all the evil in the world. So it is very hard to judge or see the current political situation from the childhood's eyes. Right. You had friends. You had a life. You were happy. You were probably a happy kid. You know, generally, as you said, you didn't know better. And so life by its measure at that time, based on what you knew, was good for you. You were happy. A hundred percent. That's beautiful. Actually, it says a lot. Let me ask you this. Your father at the time, what was he doing? Ooh, he was doing a few different things. What's interesting is he had a little bit of the entrepreneur spiritship in him as well. What I remember, I do remember this part, is a lot of industry that I remember was government-owned. And what I mean by that is factories, stores, or whatever it was. So getting a job oftentimes meant you're working for the government. So a good example is like my mom, she worked at a factory, and they paid a little, you know, very little. But then when I was seven years old, they literally gave us a free, I don't want to say an apartment, but like almost like a condo, you know, like those high-rise 10-story buildings. The government was like, hey, we can't pay you, you know, a lot, but here's a little free thing here. My friends had dads or parents that, hey, you know, we, get, we haven't been paid in two weeks or a month, but here's a bag of potatoes. Here's a bag of sugar, right? Whatever they're producing at that factory, you know, we don't have the money to pay you, but here's, you know, take this home. So my dad definitely took a little bit of a different approach. He used to, when he was young, he used to be a truck driver, driving a truck around. He actually drove on some frozen lakes back in Kazakhstan and Ukraine and Russia area as well. But like, what I remember my parents doing, so my dad had four brothers in Germany, and he would go to Germany for a couple of months at a time. He would get a visa and potentially do a little bit of work, bring home some extra money. In the spring, March 8th is a International Women's Day in Ukraine and almost all over the world. And my parents had a greenhouse that they made, and they would sell tulips. They would grow them in the winter, have them ready for March 8th. So that was the thing. We also had a pretty good sized garden, you know, and they would grow tomatoes and go out to the marketplace and sell them. So my dad always did basically little side jobs here and there. And I don't want to say side jobs, but he did little side hustles and we were doing better than most because instead of relying on someone to pay you with three bags of potatoes when times were tough, he went out and did something on his own to try to make things happen. Your father, sounds like, was really focused on making sure that the family and you as kids growing up under his parentage, that you had a good life. That was important to him. A hundred percent. My parents, you know, something that I learned from them is, you know, from my dad, for example, you know, and this is one of our core values at work is we work hard. That's our number one core value. And that's what he taught me. I've never seen my dad sit around and wait for something to happen. I've never seen my dad sit around and complain that something is not happening to him. He would always go out and work hard and try to make something happen. And for my mom, you know, one of our core values is we care. My mom was a very, and still is a very, very caring person. And we would, even though 
by today's standards, we were not doing well, but by those standards, we were doing better than some people. She would always go out and try to help, go out of her way to pick someone up and give them a ride, go out of her way to make an extra meal for someone. So my mom was a tailor in Ukraine. She actually did a little bit of tailoring when we came to the U.S. She would do free clothing repair for people that needed some help. So there was always, on my dad's side, is the work hard. And on my mom's side was that, hey, we care for people. You put those two things together, that's a powerful combination for not being a victim in life, but instead being someone who takes control of your own destiny and finds ways to make things work for you, take matters under control, do whatever you can to make it work in your favor, all while caring about the community around you. Now, those are powerful ingredients and certainly good things for any child to learn, whether you're gonna grow up in Ukraine or the US or wherever it may be, those are the values that matter. Yep, those are great fundamentals and great values for anyone from any place, anywhere in the world. You're listening to Business Biography on WJR. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, Victor tells us how and why his father and mother made the decision to take their family to America. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today we're featuring the amazing success story of Victor's Roofing and the man behind its success, Victor Smolyanov. Victor, there was a moment in your young life in Ukraine when your father came to you and told you that he's made a decision to move you and the rest of your family to America. So I don't remember the moment. How this all came about is my grandpa was a pastor of a Baptist church, I would say, right, like in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And in the Soviet Union, there was a lot of religious persecution because you had to be of specific faith, do a specific thing. And once the Soviet Union kind of started to break down, my grandpa actually applied and got a, you know, I believe it's called a refugee status now like a refugee status to come to the U.S. And he was able to do that. And he slowly started kind of like when one family member comes over, you can apply for a visa for another one and and here and there. So like my dad was part of 12 kids and my dad was the second oldest. So we had uncles and aunts who already moved. So we knew about, you know, like, hey, people are moving to United States. Potentially it's a better world. I remember looking at a photo of my cousin in a shopping cart and I was like, what is that? And he's standing next to a produce section with four different color apples that are nicely arranged in a square formation. And I'm like, whoa, that's, you know, that's America right there. <laughs> that's, a, that's super fancy. So we kind of knew about it and we seen our, you know, some friends leave and stuff. So like, I knew that we wanted to go, but I don't remember when we were, you know, when that letter or whenever that phone call or whenever my parents made that official decision, because we've been talking about it for a while. And then eventually it's like, hey, we're going to America I think what I remember most about that is actually telling friends in school, hey, we're going to America, and no one would believe me. I had 30 kids in my class. I believe I was in fourth grade or third grade, and I would tell anyone that would hear me, and they're like, nah, you lie. You'll be back next week. You know, you're just going on vacation or whatever. And as a kid, I was like, no, I'm going to America. And they're like, no, you're not. And uh, I guess here we are. Here you are. And do you remember when you told people that you were going to America, did you say that with excitement and enthusiasm or with, you know, trepidation and fear into, you know, heading into the unknown, probably a little of both. Um, a little bit of both, but I would say more excitement. I think my first introduction to, <laughs> you're going to love this, 
my vision of America was the Home Alone movie, the original Home Alone, that it was translated in Russian. And I remember watching it, like I was just watching it. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. They have a big house. They go on vacations. They have fancy neighborhoods. So as a kid, right, as you're nine years old, you're like, heck yeah, I want to go. Why not? I want to have a Christmas like that. I want to have a vacation like that. I want to live in a house like that. So as a kid, there was definitely a lot of excitement. And I would say more, maybe a little bit of sadness to leave your friends behind because you grew up with people, you have friends or distant family, and you're like, hey, there is a good chance I might never see you again. And as a nine-year-old, I'm like, well, I guess I'm losing my friends. I'm going to have to make some new ones. That's a big deal. I mean, to a nine-year-old, that's your whole life. That's everything, you know? Yep. I mean, that was everything. How did you begin to establish roots here? How did your father and your mother establish roots for your family here in America? I think piece by piece, as you go kind of, you apply for a social security card, you apply for this paperwork or that paperwork, you know, and we had like Medicare or whatever it was called, Medicaid, Medicare, you kind of just trying to get all the paperwork done. So you're going to multiple offices as a kid, you don't know what, what you're doing. You know, they're just asking you questions here and there and then getting into a school, you know, you were in third grade. I think I actually got bumped up to fourth grade because of my age. It was a little bit weird in Ukraine because you could skip a grade. So they bumped me into fourth grade. I'm like, sweet, let's go. Obviously, I don't speak any English. I know one, two, three, ABC. That's about all I knew. As a kid, this issue in the desk. And what was interesting, too, is schooling where I went was very formal. We had a uniform. You had to sit a specific way. You had to raise your hand when you speak. I mean, the teacher could kick your butt if, if she wanted to, basically. And then when you come home, your dad would kick your butt because you weren't listening to the teacher. So it was very, very strict. Right? So as a kid, you come here, I'm like, whoa, you get to wear jeans, you get to wear a t-shirt, some sneakers, like it was much more relaxed environment. So that was fun to adapt to and change. And you just slowly start learning more, right? And as a kid, like at nine years old, 10 years old, you pick it up pretty quickly. My first word that I actually learned was scooch over. After my first day of school, I get in the bus, I'm sitting in the aisle seat. Girl comes up next to me and she says, scooch over. And she makes a, a, you know, a hand gesture. I'm like, okay, that means move over. Sweet, got it. And I came home, I'm like, mom, I learned a word. Scooch over. Scooch over means move. So that was pretty cool. And I still remember that experience of sitting there and being, you know, hey, move over. I'm like, sweet, got it. That's really incredible. You know, and speaking of the experience in school back in Ukraine versus here, you know, there's something to be said for structure and formality and holding kids accountable and all the rest. And that was probably done in retrospect when you think about it to an extreme back there. But here in this country, one could argue maybe things are a little too loose. But on the other hand, it's the fact that it's a little more loose that allows people to think creatively and be open minded about maybe I could do this or maybe I can do that. It's part of what fuels, I think, our need to discover who we really are. And then to be whatever that is and do it kind of our way. Yeah, it definitely brings a lot more creativity because you're not told to do this or be that or only do this. It does get the creative juices going and inspires people to do and become whatever they want. Yeah, and I think that's obviously part of your story. Now, let's talk about it. When your father landed here, he obviously had to find a way to support the family. At that time, there was four of us, and now there's seven. So we, my dad and my mom had four kids, landed. And obviously, you know, as we go through this process, I believe we had welfare for a moment. And I do believe in our welfare system to a degree, because there needs to be a, how I look at a, a welfare. And this is what I learned from my dad, where he instilled hard work. It's a system to help you get out of a rough spot when you're in it. And when we came, right, like you don't know the language, you don't have a job, you can't really do a job because you can't speak English. 
And we definitely spent probably six to 12 months doing all the paperwork, getting to school. I think my mom and dad, I think, took some English classes at a local community college that had an ESL program. But about 10 to 12 months into it, my dad's like, listen, I got enough. I got a helping hand. Thank you. I want to make it and go on my own. And that's a big thing that I look at my dad and I'm very proud of him for doing this because I did have a lot of friends. I did have a lot of, you know, we had a family and friends who, I don't want to say abused it, but kind of said, hey, we're getting these checks mailed to us. We're getting this, you know, little drip line of support. Why try? You know, we're doing good. We have shelter. We have better food than we've ever had. And why should we, you know, work any more than we need to? And my dad did the opposite. It's the best of the way that system is supposed to work. And your father had the character I can tell as you described your dad and what was important to him and the way he took control of his circumstances in life and made the most of it. As you said, he didn't sit back idly and take it. He was going to do whatever he could to take control of his circumstances. Well, of course, a guy like that, I would say one of his goals was to get off of welfare, you know, not to continue to abuse the system. That was a milestone for him to be able to come here, get the help he needed to get started. It must have felt amazing for your dad. He knew he was on his way when he didn't need those checks anymore. That was a measure of his success. A hundred percent. It's a measure of his success, right? But it's also an example for his kids. Because even at 10, 11 years old, I knew a difference between a guy who was just taking a handout and a guy who said, hey, thank you for the help. I got this. Let me do this on my own. And even at 10, 11, 12 years old, I could see other kids' dads. And I'm like, man, why doesn't your dad go to work? Why doesn't your dad work hard? And I could sense that. And I was very proud, even as a 10, 12 year old of my parents. And they said, no, we don't need this handout. My mom got a job as a tailor. My dad got a job as a roofer. And the reason he did that is because, hey, you don't really need to know English to know how to install a roof. And his younger brother just got into the roofing business. He's like, hey, you want to come out and work with me? And the only other option that he had was basically go drive a truck. And at that point, it was, you know, you can drive a truck over the road, be gone for a week or two at a time. And he made a decision. He listen, I'm going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to be out in the sun. I'm going to work hard. You know, it's going to be a little bit exhausting, but I want to be home every single night for my family. And your family grew from the time that you landed here from four kids to seven. So our baby sister, Carolina, she was born a few years after we came here. And then just recently, about five years ago, my parents adopted two more kids from Ukraine. They adopted a eight-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl, you know, brother and sister. So we have uh, five plus two now. You're listening to Business Biography, today featuring the amazing success story of Victor's Roofing, as told by company founder and CEO, Victor Smolyano. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, you'll hear about the founding of Victor's Roofing. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today featuring the story of Victor's Roofing based in Southeast Michigan and led by its founder and CEO, Victor Smolyano. Victor, you were a good student in school and you were now facing some choices whether to be a laborer working for another company or to start a company of your own. Tell us about the progression of how and why you ended up making the decision to start your own company. We today look at entrepreneurship as a pride thing, all right? Hey, he's an entrepreneur. He's a business owner. He's going to make it on his own. The world that my parents grew up in 
it's a world that was interesting because most industries were government owned. So there was not a lot of private business. And number two, if you were successful, equal to you were corrupt. Success and corruption kind of came hand in hand. Man, that's just the world that they grew up in. That was the Soviet Union. And in that world, becoming a business owner wasn't something that a lot of people looked up to. However, like becoming a lawyer, becoming a pilot, becoming a doctor, that was something that every single parent wanted for their kid. So schooling for me came very, very easy. I didn't need to put a lot of effort into it because I could, you know, stay up the night before, study something real quick and get an A on the test. I could do my sister's homework and she was in, you know, three grades above me. And, you know, she'll give me like five bucks and I'm like, sweet, I'll do her homework because I'll get paid and I just won't do mine. So I think because schooling came easy to me, I didn't maybe appreciate it as much and I didn't put as much effort into it. So well, my parents, when they seen that, right, they're like, hey, we don't want you to end up like your dad. We don't want you to be on the roof. We don't want you to work with your body. We don't want you to be, you know, exhausted and stinky when you come home. So they wanted you, hey, be a doctor, be a lawyer, get an education, do all that stuff. So that was the main reason of like, hey, don't follow in your father's footsteps because we're making these sacrifices for you. So that way you don't have to do this. We want a better life and a better life for you equals that you got to get that education. And for me, I just didn't have that in me. I'm like, I don't want to like, you know, the school is boring. The school is easy. You know, I can ace it without much effort. So they literally took me up on the roof and they said, well, if you think it's easy and you don't want to do this or that, get up on this roof, work with your dad. And I think the crucial mistake that, that they did was they actually, my uncle, that's what my dad was working for at that time. My uncle paid me 10 bucks an hour. And as a 13 year old, you're like, holy smokes, that's so much money. You work 10 hours, you get a hundred bucks. You now feel like a rich man at 13. And the very first day that I worked, it was, I still remember, man, it was tough. I think by two o'clock I was, you know, hiding underneath the bushes, you know, kind of pretending to be cleaning up the trash. I was like, man, I just want to go home. And that money, the first day's money was supposed to be used for Cedar Point because I wanted to go to Cedar Point with a youth group. And my parents were like, well, we can't afford you, you know, to go to Cedar Point because the tickets are expensive and all that stuff. So if you want to, you can use this money. And I remember around five o'clock, we were finishing on the project. And literally, I was looking at my dad. I'm like, I'm not going to see the point. He's like, why? I'm like, I don't want to spend this money. It's, it was so hard to earn it. After that day, you know, it got a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And you just started to make a little bit of money. I'm like, I kind of love this. And the big thing to me was that I wore it with pride. But as a kid, I was proud of that. I'm like, hey, I'm a tough guy. I can work outside. I can pick up these bundles. I can haul this trash. So it was almost like a manly macho thing for me where I'm like, I love this. I get to work outside. I get to see a new place every single day. I'm in these people's backyards. I'm picking up trash. I'm making their house look better, right? Like, so like I wore that with pride and that's kind of what drew me into it. That, hey, this is not just a get by kind of job. To me, I loved it. Like I was proud of what I did. You know, I'm stuck on the story that you were so looking forward to going to Cedar Point. You worked your butt off to make enough money to be able to do it. And once you got the payment, once you had the money in hand, what occurred to you was, man, I worked hard for that. I'm not going to Cedar Point because I'm not going to blow this money. I just worked so hard. Yeah, 100%. And even since that moment, like whenever I got paid by the hour and whenever I needed to buy something, I always judge. I'm like, hey, is this worth eight hours of me being on the roof in 95 degree weather, hauling these heavy bundles and working hard and do I really need this item? So it really kind of helped me put things in perspective of like X amount of hours equal this item that I want to buy. Is it worth it or is it not? So that, that was definitely a life lesson. And we grew up, my parents were very frugal. 
we had to make things meet. And I think what was important to my parents was, I think even in the immigrant culture, it's having a good home. We don't care about your clothes. You can have second class. Like most of my clothing, even through high school, was secondhand clothing. Why pay 50 bucks for jeans when you can get them for $10 at Salvation Army? And there's another store values. There's a few secondhand stores that you could, you know, get those into. So for my dad and for my parents, it was, hey, home comes first. Let's have a good home to live in. Let's be proud of what we have. And even as, a, you know, like right now, I love cars and different trucks and things like that. But as a kid, I remember like asking my dad, I'm like, hey, what's your favorite car? And he's like, the one that I have. And that was it. That, he, that was always his answer. I'm like, what's your favorite thing? It's like, whatever I have is my favorite thing. And even my cars, our average car was a $3,000 car. I did not buy a new car until 2015. <laughs> That's how my dad instilled into me that like, hey, you got to buy a used car. As you grow up, you kind of learn where the value in life is and what you really need, you know, and my parents definitely taught me a lot of valuable lessons with, you know, being good with money and not spending and not living beyond your means. Victor, let's talk about how you got your business started. At what point did you go from doing roofing for others to the point in time at which you decided I'm ready to start my own business? I grew up learning how to install shingles, how to put shingles on and as I went through working for my uncle, then eventually working for my dad, and then eventually moving on, I always wanted to do more, and I always wanted to do the next thing. Because over time, everything kind of gets boring. For me, what drives me is, hey, we mastered this. What is the next step? How can I learn how to put on shingles? Or I mastered running a crew for someone else. How can I do it for myself? I'm working on the roof as my day job come home in the evenings, take a shower, you know, put on a nice polo, get your business cards out and just go out, start knocking doors, introduce myself because I can put the best roof on that I can, but can I go get my own work and slowly just, you know, a, a project here, a project there. And here we are today. But a lot of that just started by, Hey, what's the next step? What else can we do? And so you started this business. It was a business of your own at that point. Do you remember the early days? Yeah, it was me and about four guys who were working for me as installers. I actually still have Vitaly. He was there on my very, very first job in 2008, and he's still with us as a sales rep today. And it was four guys plus me. I needed to keep the guys busy. So it was either find work through someone else, find your own work and whatever means possible. And lots of knocking doors, lots of introducing, lots of, you know, get off my porch. I don't want to talk to you kind of conversations, but slowly pushing and pushing it and, you know, one, one job at a time. And one job at a time led you at some point to start to see significant growth of your business. What made you equipped? It's one thing to know roofing. It's one thing to have a good set of values as part of your makeup and constitution, personal constitution. But you also became a really good entrepreneur. That now we know is clear. How did you figure things out? How did you know what to do? How did you know how to market your business? How did you know how to about financing and all the other things that go into making up for a successful business that go way beyond just the hammer and nail? So I'm a very curious individual by nature. And a good example is if I go to the dentist as a kid, I don't do anymore. I don't ask him questions. I just let him do my, his thing. But as a kid, a dentist at one point had to put something in my mouth so I couldn't talk. You know how they can put a little wedge? So they were literally like, he would be drilling something and I would be like, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing it? So to me, I'm a very curious individual. I love to know how things work. I always look at a situation like, how did he do this? Or what happened there? And that drove, you know, that kind of knowledge-based growth. 
because no, I did not know how to do financing. I did not know how to do marketing. I did not know how to do sales, but someone did. And you just follow success and you look at this place or you look at this company, you look at this individual and say, hey, he's really good at this. What is he doing and how is he doing it? And lots of visiting conferences, lots of online videos. You know, a good example was like QuickBooks. Like, hey, how does QuickBooks work, right? And back in 2008, I'm trying to process payroll, pay a guy or get some money in or pay for shingles. And you just slowly start clicking buttons, slowly start tinkering with things. So I love learning. I never, never want to stop learning to me. Like, I just love that expanding knowledge base of items. And so if you don't know marketing, follow someone who does. Or if you don't know sales, you know, can you get a sales coach? That's kind of like I said, like, hey, what's the next thing? You know, what, what's the next thing that we can learn? What's the next thing that we can do? What's the next thing that we can improve and constantly not, you know, continue to change? That's what really drives it. A curious nature, a desire to always be learning, an indomitable work ethic, and a fire in the belly. A combination that makes for success. You're listening to Business Biography today, featuring the story of Victor's Roofing. We're headed to a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear how Victor's Roofing really starts to take off. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. You're listening to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. How does a business go from a good idea to a viable business? And then how does a good business become a great one? We're about to find out. Victor, at this point in your business's young but evolving success story, you decided to have a family, and that has a way of really getting you focused on achieving success. Yeah, I mean, and I do think, you know, your life does change a little bit as you first get married. And I got married very young. I was 19 years old when I got married. But I think it really puts it in perspective when you have your kid. I remember my first daughter, Katie, she was born. We were at U of M Hospital. And I remember just like holding her and it kind of just hit me like, oh, snap. Like we are all she has in this world. I looked at my wife, looked at myself and I'm like, I am now responsible for another human being. And I think that was definitely the turning point is like, as you become the parent for the first time, it really hits you like, hey, this kid now depends on me to do good for him and for them to, you know, make it in life. So that was definitely a moment that, you know, I still remember looking back and like, yep, that's the moment that I realized I got responsibilities. Well, that's incredible. Now, at, at some point, your business really started to take off. Tell us about some of the key milestones in growing your business from where you started it in 2008 to where it is today. I would say the key moment for me came in 2014. 2014 is the year that I hired my first two people that were not roofers. So up until that point, it was me and, you know, four or five, six guys. And I would do all the white collar work, running around, doing estimates, picking up permits, ordering materials, you know, visiting a job site while the guys are working to, hey, I can't do all of that by myself. I need to hire a sales rep. So my first sales rep that I've ever hired was in 2014. And that's when I'm like, okay, I need some help. I can't do all these appointments by myself. I need a little bit of bandwidth. And that same year is when we hired our first office administrator because it was the same thing. Hey, now that I have the sales rep, I need also extra people to pull the permit, somebody to answer the phone, somebody to do the paperwork. So I think the first key moment was hiring the first sales rep. And then, you know, following was my office administrator at that point. 
because up until that point for the first, you know, five, six years, it was one guy doing everything. What we look like today, we are on pace to finish the year off at about a $35 million in revenue. We have 30 sales reps or roof inspectors. We have about 120 guys up on the roof every single day installing product. And I would say our total team count is probably in the 160, 170 team member territory. Like, hey, you sold this much or you made this much or you put on this many roofs. And I talked about a little bit earlier that like, you know, what really drives me is seeing people succeed with them because the people that you hire make all the difference in the culture that we've created in our place. That's what really, really matters. So I think to me, having good people and hiring good people and taking care of your people is the number one driver for business success because you can't do it all alone. You can't go to every house, install every single roof, and you got to be able to hire people who care. And to me, along the way, as we grew, we changed a lot of lives. We were able to provide a great living for a lot of our team members. We were able to give back to our community quite a bit. And we're able to continue to grow. And to grow, we are helping not only grow the company, but we're growing the people within. We have, I think, some of my biggest successes are people who have grown as the company has grown. And, you know, just this week, we promoted our director of finance into a COO role or a general manager role. And she started with us five years ago as a call center manager. So seeing her life change, seeing her grow, seeing our sales reps' lives grow, right? You know, somebody who can double or triple their income or seeing our crew leaders grow who are able to start off as a guy cleaning up trash to a guy that is now running a crew. And he's very proud of that. I think those are some of the things that I'm super proud of today and what our business looks like today as well. You also have a focus on giving back to the community. You mentioned your mother first instilled in you values of caring about people around you. You've carried that through into your business and into your personal lives. You make it a focus to give back to the community. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, doing the right thing or taking care of people. That's been instilled in my DNA as a since a kid. So if someone needed something in any way, shape, or form, you know, you try to help out and do the right thing. And as we started to grow, we always ran into a situation where, you know, you're at a customer's home, you're looking at their roof and you're like, man, you really, really need a roof. And then you do find out that, hey, they need a roof. They can't pay for it. We would always take care of them either by offering a small little repair or by putting a tarp on the roof or in some cases replacing a roof. And as we continued to grow, we had a little bit more here, a little bit more there. We would have maybe once a year uh, a special giveaway to a, a veteran or a mother who lost her husband and now she's taking you know, care of four kids by herself. Hey, if we install 100 roofs, can we make enough money to buy materials and pay for labor for one family? So basically 100 roofs equals one free roof given away to a family. We talk about it a lot with our team. We encourage our team to seek out people. We'll, sometimes people call us because the stories that you see, the things that you hear, you know, the lives that you can change, it's amazing. You have stories where you know, there's a gentleman in the wheelchair uh, with lots of things that are not going well in his life, but then you go inside his house, they have half the roof tarped, but it's still leaking everywhere. And every time it rains, they would have to move furniture around or move his bed around because it was literally leaking onto where he sleeps. So he's, he's in bed, it's raining, and it's raining literally on top of him. So going into that home and saying, hey, you don't have to worry about it. 
you know, there's, you know, not a lot of good things happening to you right now. Well, we're going to help that. We're going to replace your roof. We're going to make sure that whenever you're sleeping and it's raining outside, you don't have to worry about moving your bed to put buckets there. So that way you don't get wet. So we're able to do a lot of those able to give back. And I think the stories of the lives that we change are very, very fulfilling for our team. Speaks volumes about who you are and, and frankly, how lucky we are that you ended up in our community here in Michigan. So I have to ask you, going from first learning or becoming aware of American culture and life by watching Home Alone, from there arriving in America, going to your grandparents' apartment and being taken to Myers and seeing something that is the equivalent of a kid arriving at Disney World today, as a, a wow kind of experience for you. From there, learning how to say scooch over as your first words, and then to ultimately having a business of your own, a family of your own here based in the U.S., and, and all the success that you've been able to have. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Was your father right in making the decision to bring you here, to bring his family here, and to have you be able to get your start here in America? Absolutely. This is the land of opportunities. This is the land that whatever you want to do for the most part you can as long as you're willing to put in the hard work and continue working at it hard you can do whatever you want the opportunities are endless something i i say quite a bit is i was born a ukrainian but i'm going to die an american i'm very very proud to be here and would not change a thing wow congratulations victor I'm so happy for you and your family, and we're so lucky to have you and Victor's Roofing a part of our community right here in Southeast Michigan. The idea behind this show, Business Biography, is to identify and produce stories of business success that are both inspiring and informative to others, something that makes us feel proud of our local community and those that are a part of it. I can say with great pride that the success story of Victor's Roofing and the man that made it all happen, Victor Smolyanov, embodies everything this show is all about. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Jeff Sloan. Join us again next week for another inspiring business success story on Business Biography. Thanks for listening to Business Biography on the great voice of the Great Lakes, 760 WJR.